On today's episode of Locked Up With History, we're heading back to the Geelong Jail and how two wily old convicts managed to stage one of the most infamous breakouts in its history. This is the story of Josh Clark and Christy Farrell. Stay tuned. Warning. This podcast contains discussions of some potentially distressing topics. Listeners, please be advised. With us for true and tall tales unsurpassed, with stories from Victoria's dark colonial past. Spirits, executions, ghosts, murders, and ghouls. These are the stories they don't teach you at school. All these twisted tales of mystique and mystery coming to you now on Locked Up With History. Hello everyone and welcome back to Locked Up With History episode 12. My name is Deb Robinson and on today's episode we're going to explore the story of two crafty and cunning old prisoners by the name of Frederick Josh Clark and Christopher Farrell. Now firstly apologise for the length of time between episodes. Unfortunately real life managed to get in the way of our research and recording time but we're back now and hopefully back to some more regular content. But firstly, back to our story on Clark and Farrell. Now, this pair managed to stage the most infamous escape in Geelong Jail history early on the morning of October 8, 1889. It led to an inquiry and disciplinary action against four officers of the jail. But just who were these two men and how did their paths collide in the cells of the Geelong Jail? Now, Frederick Joss, or Josh Clark, was born as Jesse Harrison in Bradford, Yorkshire in 1828 to Peter and Jane Harrison, one of six children born to the couple. Now, Jesse Harrison was just 14 years of age when he first appeared before the courts in February 1843 for stealing a hat, the property of Thomas Sharp. He was sentenced to six months hard labour. At the time, Harrison was working as a labourer in a factory and was just 4 foot and 10 inches and very much freckled. He was already listed as a rogue and vagabond from a court appearance just three months earlier. Now, Jesse's brother Peter had also made an appearance before the courts the year before in 1842. Now, Harrison would appear again before the Bradford courts in 1845, now as a 17-year-old name as Joshua Edmondson. Charge was stealing a pair of boots owned by Thomas Morley to the value of 10 shillings. Now, due to his previous conviction, he was sentenced to seven years' transportation. But it would be four years before Edmondson would board a convict ship to head to Australia. In the meantime, he would experience the inside of some of the most infamous jails in Britain, including Pentonville, Millbank and Portland prisons, as well as on a number of the hulks. Now, Edmondson arrived in Tasmania in April 1850 aboard the Eliza. He was described as being generally well-behaved, but would become excitable when impatient, and he would join in on any meeting that was going. During his time in Tasmania, he would be sent to Norfolk Island to serve part of his sentence. He was also sentenced to a short stint in a lunatic asylum, from which he had escaped before being declared sane. Edmondson was sent to Port Arthur before receiving his ticket of leave in 1852. 
Whilst he was in Tasmania, he would be flogged no more than four times with 100 lashes inflicted each time. Now using the name of Frederick Clark, he made his way to Victoria aboard the aptly named Gold Seeker, arriving in Melbourne in February 1853. Now initially he tried to make a living on the gold fields, but it wouldn't be long before he turned to a life of crime. Just two months after his arrival in Victoria, Clark was convicted at Bendigo of having no visible means of support for which he was sentenced to 12 months imprisonment. He was released in December 1853. In November 1854, Clark was convicted of horse stealing and sentenced to 10 years hard labour, although he was released on a ticket of leave in March 1860, having received seven days remittance for working on Saturday afternoons, as you do. And so he began a long career of imprisonment on charges such as burglary, larceny and stealing goods. In March 1888, Clark was convicted of two charges of receiving at the Melbourne Supreme Court and was sentenced to 14 years hard labour. He was caught breaking into the shop of Samuel Armfield in Fitzroy, stealing gold wings and another charge of receiving stolen property. Initially serving the sentence in Melbourne and then Pentridge, Clark arrived at the Geelong Jail in May 1888. In 1889, with Christopher Farrell, he would make the greatest escape in Geelong Jail history. Now, at one time, Clark did try to go straight, asking Captain Evans, the Inspector General of Prisons at the time, to help set him up as a barber. He was given an order for six raises, but ended up leaving with many more. When asked why, Clark replied, they were there. I just had to do it. Clark would also attempt twice more to escape from the Geelong Jail after 1889, but without success. Now, Frederick Clark would succumb to old age in August 1904 at the age of 75 years in the Geelong Jail. Throughout his long criminal career, he managed to accumulate 72 years of sentences. He would leave his worldly possessions to one of his most favoured warders. If you'd like to visit some of the places featured on Locked Up With History, book in a tour with Twisted History. For the full range of tours and to book visit twistedhistory.net.au. Now, Clark's partner in crime, Christopher Farrell, was one of the more infamous convicts who stepped through the gates of the Geelong Jail. Now, Farrell is very hard to trace in his early life until he comes before the courts as a 15-year-old in the Liverpool Borough Sessions on the 1st of September 1843, charged with larceny from the person. He was sentenced to four months imprisonment, plus being whipped twice during his sentence. A few months later, under the name of Christopher Bowen, he was charged again with larceny from the person at the Liverpool Quarter Sessions on the 5th of February 1844. At the time, he was described as a thief since he was a child, having been convicted once before, plus 10 charges of vagrancy. Farrell was described as having connections of the worst description. He was sentenced to 10 years transportation. From this, I think we can assume Pharrell had spent much of his early years on the streets, where he began a career in crime that continued for his entire life. Now, Pharrell would serve the first six weeks of his sentence at the local Liverpool jail, before being transferred in March 1844 to Parkhurst Prison. From there, he would be sent to Millbank, and from which he would finally board the ship the Marion, to be transported to Australia, landing in Williamstown on the 25th of January 1848. Now, Farrell was one of the 1,739 exiles who was sent to Victoria between 1844 and 1849. 
On arrival in Australia, they were given a conditional pardon, having served their first part of their sentence in the English jails. This was providing that they didn't return to England within the term of their original sentence. But it wasn't long before Pharrell was once again following a life of crime. In November 1848, Pharrell was convicted of robbery from a hut, stealing several articles of clothing and was sentenced to three years on the roads. It was while serving this sentence that Pharrell first attempted to escape in August 1849, for which he received 100 lashes. Trying to escape remained a rather prominent part of his criminal career. Now, in 1849, Pharrell was sent to Cockatoo Island before returning to Pentridge in February 1851 and finally getting a ticket of leave in April 1851. But by June, Farrell had been sentenced to 10 years hard labour for robbery and company for holding up the Portland Mail Coach here in Victoria with another bushranger by the name of Owen Suffolk. Now, Suffolk would become known as Victoria's prison poet and for the publication of his experiences in the newspapers of the day. In August 1851, Farrell would again attempt to escape, this time from the sleeping wars at Pendridge Stockade. He would again receive 100 lashes for his trouble. In 1854, he would make two further attempts at escape, but without success. In March 1857, Farrell was serving time on the Hulk's success. While here, he was a witness to the murder of the Inspector General of Prisons, John Giles Price. On the 26th of March, Price had visited the convicts to hear their complaints on a reduced fraction of food. When things became heated, Price was stoned by several convicts and would die of his injuries the following day. Seven men would be executed for the crime. But Farrell and another man named John King used the disturbance to carry out a well-thought-out escape plan. While working in the quarries, a shallow cave had been carefully cut and concealed with planks and earth and contained breathing holes. On the day of the price attack, Farrell and King concealed themselves with a bottle of water and several bread rations, planning to make good their escape under the cover of nightfall. However, another prisoner, after seeing the brutality of the attack on Price, let Chief Warder Thomas Highland know of the concealment, and the escape plan was foiled. In 1868, Farrell would finally gain his freedom after a couple of shorter stints for various robberies. This time, he headed to New South Wales, which was then known as the Bushranger's Paradise. But Farrell would still end up in jail several times over the next 15 years using the aliases of Henry or John Shaw. In May 1869, he robbed a Sydney pawnbroker of watches, jewellery and money in the company of Jacob Scholes and Thomas Carlton. He also stole a quantity of clothing from a George Street draper. For these crimes, he was sentenced to another 10-year sentence. Farrell would see the inside of Parramatta Jail, Darlinghurst Jail, Maitland Jail and Berrimer Jail during his sentencing. While in Parramatta Jail in 1872, he would stab a fellow prisoner, James McManus, during an escape attempt. Farrell was charged with wounding with intent to murder and grievous bodily harm, receiving yet another 10-year sentence. Farrell was released in November 1879, but in November 1882 was once again before the courts for burglary at Albury. Another term of imprisonment, he was released to freedom in April 1887 and then headed back to Victoria. In October 1887, Farrell was caught up in a raid on a house where he was living in Fitzroy. Detective Sergeant Nixon had entered the premises to serve a warrant on Farrell and his housemates. Farrell was sleeping and when Nixon went to wake him, Farrell fired a shot. Luckily for Nixon and Farrell, the shot hit a pocketbook in Nixon's breast pocket instead of killing him. For this, he was sentenced to 12 years hard labour. 
But in October 1894, Pharrell would once again call the Geelong Jail home when he was sent from Pentridge suffering from old age, debility, jaundice, facial paralysis and parotitis edema of the arm and rheumatism. In June 1895, Pharrell was placed in the jail hospital under the direction of the medical officer, suffering from pneumonia and diarrhoea. He would never recover. On the 30th of August 1895, Christopher Farrell would pass away from pneumonia and debility in the hospital of the Geelong Jail, aged 66 years. He'd spent more than three quarters of his life behind bars. For a fascinating look at life in a colonial prison, visit Geelong Jail Museum. Situated just over an hour from Melbourne in the heart of Geelong, it's Victoria's most intact and longest continually operating colonial prison. For information, search for Geelong Jail or call 1300 865 800. But now back to the Great Escape. Now, Clark had been at Geelong Jail since May 1888, transferred from Pentridge while undergoing a 14-year sentence. Pharrell was received in September 1888, also from Pentridge, uh, serving a similar sentence. The men had nearly 12 months to plan the escape. In October 1889, both Clark and Pharrell were across the hall from each other, one in cell 7, the other in cell 13. At 7am on the 8th of October, Chief Warder Joseph Dobbin entered the jail and was surprised to see that Warder George Kane was not at his post. He thought this was strange as Kane was been a warder for many years and it was proven to be most trustworthy. Dobbin, suspecting that something was wrong, immediately began searching the prison and discovered the missing warder in the kitchen, gagged and bound and tied to a large table. Kane related that at 1.45am he had heard a prisoner knocking on his cell door while he was checking the chapel. He went to the cell occupied by Clark, who requested a drink of water. Kane saw no reason not to comply with his request and went to fetch the requested drink, leaving the trapdoor down. This was his mistake. The men had effected their escapes by means of a skeleton key and the insecure state of the trapdoors, which had been reported. It was suggested six months prior to the escape that bars needed to be installed across the traps, something that was completed in the wake of the escape. Using the key, Pharrell was let out and hid behind the stairs awaiting the return of water Kane with Clark's water. Kane was handing the water through the open trap when Pharrell approached quietly and grabbed Kane around the throat. At the same time, Clark emerged from his cell to help secure the water. Pharrell, concerned with the noise of the scuffle, threatened the water with a rock, stating, It is life or death to us. If you make another noise, I will dash your brains out. The two prisoners stuffed a piece of cloth torn from Clark's bedding into the water's mouth and tied his feet and hands. They removed Kane's boots before removing him to the cookhouse where he was tied to a table. In the process, Clark and Pharrell relieved Kane of his watch, a key and a pocket knife. In addition, the men stole two carving knives from the kitchen with which to arm themselves. The prisoners now made their way into the yard by means of the skeleton key and through an iron gate. Here a wall enclosing one of the yards had only recently been completed and the builder's scaffolding was still in place, allowing the old timers an easy way out over the wall. They used ropes to climb down the other side and made their way away from the jail. The alarm was raised and police scoured the countryside in search of the two escapees, but it would be a couple of weeks before the pair were found. The pair had initially intended to steal a horse and buggy belonging to a well-known medical identity, but daylight came around too quickly and instead the pair hid waiting for nightfall to move. 
They headed to the bush near Ballarat where Kike and Pharrell had a falling out and separated ways near Banningong. Pharrell headed to Ballarat while Clark headed to Lake Learmonth. Pharrell was the first to be discovered in Ballarat on the 16th of October, identified by his prison clothing, although attempts had been made to disguise them. At 10am he was walking along the shore of Lake Wendaree when he was recognised by two young men who notified Constable Moldari. On being confronted, Pharrell drew a carving knife he'd stolen from the Geelong jail to threaten the policeman. Pharrell attempted to cut the constable a couple of times before he was knocked out and taken into custody. Pharrell was asked where Clark was and he replied he thought he would be dead from exposure. He explained that he'd spent three nights together near the Barwon River before separating, intending on meeting up in New South Wales. But Clark was having coughing fits at the time and coughing up blood even before the escape. Pharrell was remanded back to the Geelong Jail. Clark was found just two days later on the 18th of October in Learmonth. He'd been seen walking down a road by two men who knew of Pharrell who notified the police, suspecting it was Clark. Constable Lofton headed to the area and met the two men at around 1.30am. There was no sign on the deserted road, however the constable was aware of a deserted house just off the road and on a hunch decided to investigate it. Here, by the aid of a few matches, Constable Lofton found Clark sleeping in a back room and he was soon arrested. Clark was heard to remark that if it hadn't been dark, he would have been able to overpower the constable. The escape led to an inquiry by a board appointed by the Governor and Council. Governor Henry Pinninger, Chief Warder Warden William Dobbin, Warder Joseph Dobbin and Warder George Kane were all charged with neglect of duty in the escape of Clark and Farrell. There was much discussion over the duties of the warders with regards to checking the cell doors and the traps every two hours and what that entailed. Former Governor Peter Dwyer testified that he'd written the regulations and warders should be physically checking each door and trap, not just visually whilst walking the corridors. It was believed that Governor Penninger had verbally said it was enough to check the doors at the beginning of the second watch. The outcome of the inquiry was that Governor Henry Penninger was reprimanded and asked to retire at the end of the year, having reached the age of 60 years. Chief Warder William Dobbin was reprimanded and asked to retire at the end of the year. Warder Joseph Dobbin was reduced from first grade to second grade and Warder George Kane, despite the defence of both Clark and Varel that there was nothing he could have done, was disrated by four levels. The case before Mr Heron of Clark and Varel brought up reasons that the men had escaped. Clark spoke for 45 minutes about the conditions and the circumstances of his incarceration. He felt slighted by the disappearance of 47 tie pins he had on a previous incarceration at Geelong. He complained long and hard that the authorities had turned the prisoners and warders against him, not allowing him to have hot water for his bronchitis and accused of malingering by Governor Penninger. Mr Heron stated that he believed Governor Penninger to be a kind and humane man, to which Farrell replied, You've made a mistake about Mr Penninger being kind. That is nonsense. Clark asked Farrell why he had not spoken up, to which Farrell replied he knew before entering the room that there was no use. Both Clark and Farrell were sentenced to two years' hard labour and returned to Pentridge. You're listening to Locked Up With History. But of course, that's not the end of the story. In 1923, when a working party of prisoners was clearing the grounds to the west of the Supreme Courthouse of Geelong that once stood next to the jail, a brass key was found. It was a crude, handmade skeleton key. 
And when it was looked at by the prison authorities, it was realised the key would have opened every lock of the Geelong Jail in 1889. Was this the skeleton key used by Clark and Farrell to effect their escape from the jail? Whether it was or not, the legend of the escape has lived on through the years. On our next episode, we'll be looking at the death of John Hassett in the Geelong Jail in 1901. But what is more interesting is he was the fourth generation of criminals in the Hassett family, and not the only one to see inside the Geelong Jail. But before we go today, as always, please don't forget to check out our webpage at www.lockedupwithhistory.com.au where all the previous episodes are, along with any photos we have for each of the episodes when we have them. All of the episodes are available to listen to on your favourite podcast streaming platform as well. And as always, if you have any questions or wish to discuss anything about any of the previous episodes or anything else to do with the jail or history, you can leave a post in our Facebook group, Locked Up With History. And finally, if you have any suggestions on a story you might like to hear on a future podcast, please feel free to send us a message in the group or to one of our emails and we will most certainly consider it. But until then... See you on the darker side of history. information on the story from today's episode check out the show notes or join the locked up with history facebook group remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts